Hello and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Ivy. And I'm Shar. And this is episode 58. Um, This week we read flashback chapters 47 to 52. And this is the last episode of flashback. Woohoo! So yeah, we finished the book this week. Um, So we have an exciting new person on our team. Um, (laughs) uh, Do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Just give a quick introduction. So, um, hi, I'm I'm Shar. I've been in the Keeper of Lost Cities fandom for, I think it's two years now, which seems kind of crazy, and I got into it when a girl on my basketball team recommended the book to me. Um, favorite characters are Orly and Livy. Sadly, we do not see any of them in this section, so I will be mourning their absence. Nice, nice. Well, we are glad to have you, and um, yeah, welcome. So we start off the section at the Celestial Festival. The kids are all there, and also Mr. Forkel, but everyone else is an illusion because they think that the Celestial Festival is going to be a trap, so they're, ki- they're trying to see what the Never Seen is going to do. I was kind of like, why are they sending children to do this? I know that they're the main characters, so they have to, but it was a little like, I feel like adults should be doing this job. <laughs> Especially since they got the council in on this one, like, they're probably regents and emissaries who could be doing this instead, or other Black Squad members, or, like, someone besides 15-year-olds. Exactly! If they sent me to do this, I would probably get distracted by the snack table and spend the time stuffing my face with brownies. And you expect the kids to... (laughs) Literally same. Right? Like... I I don't know, man. I think we should take a lesson from the track record of this group of children um, and send some responsible people. Not that they're, like, not good at what they do. They're, they're surprisingly competent. But also, you keep putting their lives in danger and, like, giving them trauma. So what's up with that? <laughs> I mean, like, maybe you could argue that they wanted to be in on it because they still have the warden. They don't need to be patrolling the fa- the festival, although I think they would have gotten in on it anyway because of, like, Dex's bracelet thing when they saw Alvar moving. That's a good point, because they are very invested in this specific thing and um, are kind of at the forefront. So, yeah, speaking of the warden, um, they when they're at the Celestial Festival, they see Alvar moving around at Everglen. Um, Fitz is very suspicious immediately, and he wants to zap Alvar uh, and like incapacitate him but sophie's like no he has a soul um which is debatable (laughs) (laughs) i mean again with the kids on dangerous missions thing why give dex the warden thing in the in the first place like maybe give it to a a responsible adult given that dex was the one making this for the council hmm that's a good point I mean, I don't know. I feel like maybe the council would be even less responsible with it than the main characters would, though, because... Okay, true. They have a worse track record. I'll give you that. Right? Thinking about book three, like... Book three did get pretty heated. (laughs) Like Kenrick. Oh, my God. All right. All right. Starting off strong with the Kenrick jokes. I see you. Sorry, I've just got a burning desire to make these puns, and it won't really flare out anytime soon. These are coming so fast, I'm impressed. But then, eventually, they 
Um, they decide to zap Olvar because he's getting close to the gate, I think. And it does not work. Something is wrong with the warden. Only it's not the warden after all, it's Sophie's Knoll, the one that... Exactly. So then they teleport to Everglen. Rip, it's the never scene, as we should have guessed. And, I mean, they probably did guess, whatever. Um, uh, Fitz immediately attacks Olvar, like, physically, which was kind of fun. And also, like, as much as I find Keith's jokes annoying in most of the series, I was kind of grateful for them when rereading this because it was the only thing bringing the mood down for, holy heck, children are getting involved in what again? Right? I, I mean, I feel like his job as comic relief, almost, sometimes it's not helpful if everything else is already comedic and lighthearted, but definitely in this scene, I agree. It was super... um. It was useful to just have that little bit of lightness. Gethin and Vespera are there. And Umber. And Roy. And Roy. Like, it's, it's, it's an illusion at first, and Alvar is trying to convince everyone that he's still a good guy, and there's a lot of Fitz and Bianca angst over that. Side note, I really wish we got to see more of Bianca's relationship with Alvar, because it is so often like, oh, here's what Fitz and Bianca are like, or, oh, here's what Fitz and Alvar are like, but we never see how Bianca reacts to the Alvar situation herself, aside from, like, a slightly toned-down version of Fitz's anger. Like, we've seen her react to grief before, like in book two when Alan's mind was broken. Like, give Bianca her page time. Yes, I totally agree, and especially because of Never Seen, right? At the end of Never Seen, when Alvar revealed himself, he was like, Bianca, you'll understand, yes! and they totally never unpacked this. Just the whole dynamic of, like, Fitz being the golden boy, and Alvar being the rebel, and then Bianca's, like, just the, the other one, and she kind she has to make her own path. I love that so much, and I love her. I, yeah, so the Never Seen, like, put force fields around them and stuff. It was kind of, um, yeah, I noticed how, or I noted down how, like, the never scene works in this book in combat very well because, um, well, mainly because of Roy. Um, <laughs> Roy can just put up force fields and stuff. But also in this, um, in this section specifically, the hero squad has figured out how to break through force fields, but Roy has also figured out how to strengthen force fields uh, to kind of prevent against that. And I kind of note- noted how, like, villains can do things without explaining how they can do them, but heroes can't. And that is just a really good limitation. I think that's interesting. You're right. So, let's see. Bad guys have the cooler outfits, the cooler theme song, the cooler lines, less limitations, less morals. So they can just do anything. So why are we so wait, why are we rooting for the heroes again? Well, we're rooting for the heroes because all this stuff that you just said makes it an underdog story. And like that's what makes it so heroic when the heroes do win. I mean, on one hand, you're right. On the other hand, the heroes should get the cool outfits and cool lines some of the time, just to even the playing field. Oh, totally. I mean, the keepers get pretty cool outfits sometimes. Like, Sophie and her pockets? Come on. <laughs> so pockets is the only keeper of Velocity ship I actually ship. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so pockets is canon. So pockets and she has lips and keep it his hair and beyond and sparkles. Like, keep it his hair. <laughs> I love that. 
I mean, but does he actually talk about his hair more or about Sophie more? Because I feel like if we went through and counted, it would be pretty close. Honestly, yeah, you're probably right. Um, there is, yeah, there's a moment right before we, uh, right before it's revealed that it's illusion where Fitz once again almost kills Alvar, so he has a knife and he like could stab him. And I just, I love that moment. It's, it was a really good part because it's basically the never seen trying to convince Fitz to, it was, you know, anger is the path to the dark side. Take my weapon, strike whatever down. Take your weapon, strike me down. <laughs> it was that. Um, the never seen were trying to convince him to stab Alvar. And his friends were like, no, that's murder. Um, and I don't know, I love Fitz's moral ambiguity in this book. It's so spicy. It's cool. Like, I mean, not the murder thing, but, like, the character development. <laughs> and also, like... Yes! And kind of the murder thing. But, like, realistically, I think, like, we see a lot of fits in flashback, and I know that a lot of people are complaining about the Healing Center chapters, but I also think that kind of makes the scene... It makes the scene even more poignant, I guess. Like, with how f these are the people, like who, like, seriously hurt Fitz and Sophie just weeks ago, and they're still recovering, and, like, even if you don't condone murder, you can kind of see, like, where Fitz's, like, where Fitz's anger and rage is coming from because of what happened earlier in the book. And if it had just been, like, the usual, oh, never seen attack, and they're fine after three days because Elwyn and Livy are gods thing, that wouldn't have worked so well. I totally, I totally feel that, yeah. Because so much of their recovery process that they're still going through now is like dealing with the shadows and dealing with like the emotional and mental impact of what happened and like they even call sophie out on that right like when umber does the shadow flux and sophie kind of like is not into that <laughs> they're like mocking her it just makes them so much more evil also, Keith's mental breezes deserve some, like, some kind of award or a special plaque for the series. Yeah, honestly. Like, he does want to help Sophie with her echoes. Yeah, yeah, I to yeah, uh-huh. It was kind of funny because, like, it seems like Keith's mental breezes are kind of the same as Fitz's mental boosts. Oh. Is interesting. I mean, okay, it's still... Um, supports my theory that empathy and telepathy are the same thing. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of theories, there was a line that when they're talking about um, how Sophie's Null was messing with all the technology, Dex says imparters use imparters utilize a whole other kind of frequency. And like, come on, it's definitely human technology. Like they were like, oh, it's an imparter. It's totally just a phone. Come on. Imparters are phones, and Sophie doesn't recognize them because all she's ever had is her silly little iPod, and this is the theory that I will die on. <laughs> uh, but wait, in book two, there's something about, like, cell phone chargers being in one of uh, Sophie's desk, desk drawers, so maybe she had a flip phone then? Ooh, that is a good point. And I'm totally not saying saying this because I was one of very few kids. I have been the kid with the flip phone around the other kids with smartphones before nope don't need another reason to identify with sophie yes i today can be projecting onto sophie um day because that's very valid cool but 
also, like, speaking about imparters, so Sophie still has her iPod, and Andy has human technology. So can't Sophie just use her iPod to, like, email, to, like, email Amy so they can stay in touch? I know. We have talked about this on this podcast before, I think. They should literally just call each other. I don't <laughs> It's so funny. Also, Amy can come to the Lost Cities. Like, she's not supposed to, but they can... I'm sure they could, like, get a phone or some sort of thing. Even if Amy can't come to the Lost Cities, one, she's close with Livy. Two, Livy clearly has no qualms about sneaking in, into, the, into the Forbidden Cities, see Nightfall. So I have a headcan that Livy sh- 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 shows up occasionally to hang out with Amy and I'll die on this hill. Yes, I love that. We kind of hopped back and forth, but it's been revealed, it, it, it's revealed that, um, you know, the never seen were an illusion the whole time. Vespera's voice triggered Alvar's memories. Then they kind of like spirited away. <laughs> well, they were an illusion. So the illusion vanished and then Alvar also vanished. I really like in this section that Keith is the one who takes the lead. I think that's interesting because Fitz is in an emotionally compromised place right now. And Sophie is also in an emotionally compromised place um, when she's usually not, right? Sophie's usually the leader, but just in this case, a lot of stuff has been happening that's just not good for her mental state. And so Keith really steps it up. Um, he, like, calms everyone down, and he's like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. Also, like, in some ways, so does Riley. Like, you see it, like... It's not as forefront as Keith. Like you see a bit of him dealing with Keith's shenanigans in in the earlier parts of it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that though. Wiley, um, I like when Wiley's there, and I like when he shows his age because he is older than all of them, and he's just he's more experienced. He gets things, you know. I like that. That's consistent. He should have been the leader of Team Valiant because, one, this way you're not putting it on a literal child. Two, he has more time to actually focus on it, unlike Sophie, who's dealing with five million things at once. And three, he'd be really freaking good at it. All these are very good points. All these are very, very good points. I think they just wanted Sophie to be the leader because, you know, she's the Moonlark, but that is very solid reasoning there. Going back to Alvar and Vespera's voice, like, they said something at the very start of Flashback about how, like, ev- like how they showed him, like, all sorts of memories and foods and people and smells and none of them have triggered it. But if those memories had Vespera's voice in it, like, wouldn't that have triggered it? Or did they need Vespera to be actually there in person? I don't know. That's a really good point. I would say probably it would have been fine in the memories. Specifically because at the end of Never Seen, um, Keith's mimicking was able to open the cache that using Sophie's voice. So I think it's really just about the tones and like how it sounds. So Keith could so Keith could have mimicked all the Never Seen members at the very start of the book, and that could have triggered it. That's true. They probably, I mean, they just didn't think of that, I guess. But <laughs> you know, that's a very good point. Then they, um. Alvar's gone, but they still have his tracker, so they track him to the front gate of Everglen. And the real Never Seen, not the Illusions this time, are standing outside. Alvar has some of um, some of Fitz's blood, and he's gonna open the gate to let the Never Seen in. I wanted to talk about this one funny thing that I thought was funny, um, <laughs> which is they talk about Fintan a couple times, and Vesper was like, 
Fintan always ruined our plans because he was so dramatic and he always wanted to make everything unnecessarily complicated. And in the meantime, she is described as arriving in a full ball gown with a hoop skirt. Like, you know, I love your fashion, Vespera, but that's a little hypocritical. Um, hypocrite much? I liked Fintan. I miss him in a weird way because he's such a cool villain, but also he can stay safely in that ace prison for forever. And speaking of Vespera's outfit, it's adding more evidence to the theory that the Never Seen members have weekly fashion shows to keep up morale. Fitting clearly cares a lot about his hair. Alvar probably grew up with like fashion because like being a vacker and all. Keith would get totally into it when he was staying with the Never Seen. The evidence is there. Huh. This goes deeper than I thought. <laughs> the evidence is there. Huh. Who else is in the Never Seen? Brant was until he died. Did we talk about Geth Gethin yet? Gethin has really big, like, fashion energy. Yeah, yeah, like, he has the right vibes. Does Gisela? Gisela would be, like, Gisela would, like, pretend not to want to participate, but then outdo everyone secretly, you know? Yeah, that fits. So, back in the, in the book, Alvar lets the Never Seen in to Everglen, and some ogres appear, and the... The kids are trapped in force fields once again. Biana, MVP of this entire operation, has snuck away invisible and is not in a force field um, and is the best. But anyway, she helps them. No, like she gets one of the um, she gets one of the gadgets from Dax and places that by the force field holding the bodyguards, so that they can like dig and shift the earth and cause the force field to, and 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 then Dax's gadget will cause the the force field to explode. That is awesome. Thank you. Once again, proving that Biana is better than all of them. Sophie has a photographic memory. I have a Biana tick memory. As I remember everything Biana Vacker does. <laughs> nice. Oh, honorable mention to Fitz's hair products. They talk about them. I think Keith talks about his hair products. I'm not sure. About Fitz's hair products. And, um, that's just funny. Yeah, he asked them everything where they're going. It's like, my money is on Fitz's room because the hair amount of hair products there has to be some kind of a legacy. Anyway, I feel like, I think it's like one of the first times that we've ever heard about Fitz's hair products. And I love it. And it's correct. Because, you know... He, it definitely takes a lot of work to get that look every day. Also, this moment in Lodestar where it's like the kids are at the sleepover and Bianca is saying how Fitz might be teasing her for bringing so many hair products, but tomorrow morning he'll be stealing some of her lovely locks. <laughs> Love it. Again, if Fitz has hair products, Alvar probably does. Even more evidence that the, that the Neverstein have secret fashion shows. Perfect. It's, it's all coming together now. That is Keith's legacy, to be the Never Seen's fashion model. Yes! Gisela, Keith, I've been training you for this moment my entire life. Breaks him out in fashion. And that's what she says about how, oh, you fit into the plan better than you could expect because he cares so much about his hair. Um, another honorable mention to a funny thing where... Fitz is like, we need a backup plan. And Morella's like, I could burn down the house. <laughs> like, that's in character. And also, it's fun to have, um, you know, an arsonist on the team. There's some stuff about basically how 
all of their backup plans had some sort of murder or destruction involved, like how Sophie's like, Helen's like, Sophie, if you and his me, I could probably call the lake, but that would probably crash everything. Okay, that's plan B. Marilla, I can use fire. Fitz, that's also plan B. Tam and Wiley, we can use this crazy light and shadow flux thing that only the shadow flux might get out of control and destroy everything. Okay, that's also plan B. It's true. Like, they, they don't know what they're doing, but it's okay. We love them, anyway. I do think that that is something interesting about the Lost City specifically, um, and their magic system. It's all, it's all super powerful. I mean, except maybe telepathy is, um, an exception, but all the powers, all all the abilities are super powerful, and what defines, uh, skill with them is being able to control them and be careful while using them. I just, I think that's cool. It's not, yeah. Like, how, also how, like, the, the so powerful things also, like, be shown with the abilities, like, having costs. Like, with Lynn, how she's a super powerful hydrokinetic, but she also, like, flooded everything and got, and got banished for, and Morella almost burning her house down, and, and even how Sophie, with how her abilities need to be, like, be, like, reset and trained, and all of that. How, how the characters, you, you, I mean, you could call them overpowered, but their powers, like, take a toll. Yes, exactly. There are, they, yeah, basically just, they have a lot of limitations, which is great. So then, um, Vespera leads them all to this place, um, in Everglen, which is a hive. Um, it's a troll hive for newborns. And we learn that, uh, Vespera and Luzia a long time ago were working with the trolls to create, like, genetically engineered troll babies who were intelligent because troll like troll newborns as they are are like mindless creatures and they have to be locked up in, uh until they get older in order to put them out into the world as citizens who will not kill and eat everybody else they seem to be framing that as the backer legacy but i'm not convinced that it's like the whole thing i feel like it was kind of a a decoy, but I'm not sure. Alvar says something in Legacy about how uh, how he only got as far as like Lucia helping Empress with her experiments, but he thought the Vakars were hiding more. So, I mean, speaking of the trolls, also like, so they have the hives now, but like, how did the trolls evolve to age backwards? Like, what, if there clearly weren't troll hives at some point because they had to be invented. So, like. How did trolls get born exactly before the hives were in place? Well, I assume that they probably made hives, right? Because, like, even um, animals without super sophisticated society and building engineering things can, like, you know, birds make nests and stuff like that. So I assume it's something like that. Okay, yeah, that works. Vespera talks... The way Vespera talks about Luzia... um, Anyway, Vespera and Lucia, Lucia have very strong... The, my point with that was that they're gay. I mean, let's see, they're both illusionists. They were working on illusions together, like... Come on, yeah, exactly. Like, Vespera and Lucia, that's the new ship. Yeah, I mean, uh, can, we go, can we go to the part where Umber gets squooshed by the door, making this series is... Villa- Yep, and the part, and now the body, and now the villain gets, gets squished. Count of the series rises to two. Yes, let's do it. Like it's 
it's like a thing with like good guys die by fire, like Kenrick and Jolie, and bad guys die by getting squooshed, like Brant and Umber. That is true, actually. Fire or self sacrifice, but yeah, those seem to be the main two for the heroes. I can totally see that as like a specific. That makes sense, right? Because crushing villains. I'm thinking about how in Disney movies, the villain very often dies um, by like falling off a high place, and um, or I feel like that happens. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I feel like that happens. And it's the same with the smooshing. It's, you, there's, it's a death that you know is gruesome and painful for a villain, but it's also not gory um, in that you can just be like, oh, oh, they're gone now. Like, <laughs> oops. And then with the heroes, death by fire. Like, also with the villains being squooshed and the heroes being flambéed, like, both of them are, like, things that you can't really control, but, like, the fire thing is, like, of, is, like, really, uh, it, oh, forces beyond the control of the heroes, like, villains slash, like, the, the villains dominate again, whereas the being squished by a giant rock slash door is, like, seriously, you couldn't see it coming. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I also think that maybe, um, both of them are pretty impersonal. None of them are, like, straight-up murder, you know? I think for the villains specifically, none of them have been killed by uh, main characters, right? Yeah, or actually really killed by anyone. Like, all we have is Brant and Umber, and Brant just got shoved under the wrong rock, and Umber just got squooshed accidentally. So, like, yeah, none... None of the characters really has ever killed anyone. I mean, the closest we've ever gotten, I'm thinking, um, Grady doing the fire thing to Brant. That was awesome. But even that is different because, one, he's not a main... Well, he's not, like, a main, main character. And, two, he's not a kid. Um, And then the second one that I was thinking of is later in this... We can talk about this next. Is later in this section, which is Fitz. Oh, my God. Good man. Good man, Fitz. Um, he, um, Alvar gets trapped in the hive, and it starts filling up with goopy stuff, and Fitz, well, Fitz confides us to Sophie later, he says that he realized that one of the buttons probably starts the goop to start draining, and it would make Alvar, like, stop suffocating, and he stopped pressing buttons. That was, like, the best moment of the entire book. There's the happy shadow thoughts tunic, but it's close. Yeah, <laughs> there are, there are a lot of good things in this book. Well, it's like Eri. It's probably one of the darkest things the Keeper kids have ever done. Cause like usually, like even when they're in fight scenes, like we see them fighting the crazy trolls like a few pages before this, and it's like it's still like you know self defense. They're just trying to stay alive, and that's like them in basically all of their fight scenes. But like it's kind of like the whole switching from like defense to offense thing, like with how Sophie um, unlocks spoilers ahead, burns down the storehouse in Unlocked. It's great. It's a, it's, a, it's a great shift. And I like it with Fitz specifically. I mean, one, because that's the direction his character was going, and it's nice to see that, you know, uh, come to a head. But also because he is the oldest. Um, besides Wiley, he is the oldest of the kids. He's, I think, 16 at this point. And so... He gets to fill that role, 
I don't know if that makes sense, but I can't figure out a better way to say it. The thing about him being the oldest is actually pretty interesting because it's kind of like he's like always like I mean along with Sophie he's been like the one who's in charge and is setting an example and stuff like even if that example isn't like even if that example isn't so great like he's going to be the one people are looking up to and it's been the way probably for him since he was a kid because of like the Vacker legacy and all and now like even in his own friend group where like he's supposed to be able to chill he is like once again in that role. Yes, exactly, totally. Fitz is expected to take charge, and has been, since he was very young. Well, he, I mean, he has a very interesting situation, because on the one hand, yeah, he's in this leadership position, and, and always has been. On the other hand, he kind of has never been in a leadership position until now, because he's always had his father telling him what to do. So, it's like, he, he expects himself to lead, but he doesn't know how to lead. <laughs> Which is kind of Sophie as well. Like, I get why, why they're similar, you know? So, yeah, so they're fighting the trolls. They take care of it as a team. And then Sylvani... I can never... I never know which way to pronounce this. I'm going to say Sylvani because that's how I've always pronounced it. Um, Sylvani calls them and is like, The baby's in trouble! Uh, but it was a trap. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and the Lady Gisela is there. Dun dun dun. And she recruits Tam Song for the never scene. Because we can't have nice things. Apparently not. Also with Lady Gisela and the Sorpedine. I mean, so apparently now there are lots of different varieties of, of Sorpedine, and she used a different one on Roe in Atlantis than she did on the on the Alicorns, which means that they have to get the special antidote from her. And Okay, the, the Sorpedine's like a cool plot point in all in book six, but uh, I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. Like, mainly that if there are so many different anodes, like, are we going to have to see them all and get all the anodes in can, like some kind of weird Pokemon thing? Or uh, I'm rambling. <laughs> I, I, I feel that. I get that. I think that, I mean, I think that the the trick with Sorpedine is that it's about Shadow Flux, right? And so if they can figure out how to fix the Shadow Flux, um, then they can figure out how to fix any type of supporting. Wait, I thought that it was just, like, po poison, but the Shadow Flux thing, that actually makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I love that, right? I, I, the supporting is, like, the perfect example of how the Lost Cities works as a world. Because it's this perfect combination of biology, of technology, and of magic, um, which is how the Lost Cities operates just on like a setting level. So that was that was cool. Alvar is still alive, unfortunately. That's what I wrote in my notes. Alvar's still alive. He made it out of the um troll hive using skills. Um so he used breath control and temperature regulation, which I, I like that they brought that back. That's nice. And then they all return home. And there's, like, one scene with, like, Lynn, like, using her tears about Tam to, like, form a tiny heart because hydrokinetic powers, and I just felt kind of, like, awe about that. Like, whatever. Lynn. Yay, Lynn. <laughs> Yay, Lynn. Lynn is great. More Lynn. And doesn't get enough page time. I once calculated using the search function on my Kindle, and she gets less page time in the entire series than Keith, than Keith does in Legacy alone, which is a crime. 
Oh, wow. That is, wow. I would honestly love a keeper. Maybe just, like, a book, you know? Well, I mean, a book is a very long thing. But <laughs> a section or something where it's just Sophie, Lynn, Bianca, and Morella just, like, doing cool things. Did they? I feel like they must have done that at some point, but I don't remember. Um, there's this, like, one scene in Legacy where Lynn, Marilla, Maruka, and Sophie are, like, all hanging out at Havenfield, and there's, like, and, and, and they try to figure out how to reach out to Tam. Okay, alright, that's something. I also feel like all their powers work so, so well together. That was the end of, like, the main plot stuff. Uh, but then we have Flory sings a song for Sophie's shadows, and it helps them. Um, that's just really sweet. It was a, it was nice, and I'm glad that Sophie is getting some comfort in these trying times, because she needs it. And then the last part is that Sophie goes and registers for the match, and she is told that she is unmatchable. Uh, that was supposed to be the cliffhanger. Like, it didn't really feel like much of a cliffhanger, but alright, I'll give it to you, you know? <laughs> it might be me being aromantic, but I also, it's like, I think I have the worst possible combination of personality for the whole, like, unmatchable thing, because I'm both a huge orally stan and, and aromantic and, and, like, romance neutral, maybe romance repulsed, so I literally do not get why Sophie cares so much about the whole unmatchable thing. Yeah, I am also aromantic, so this is a great combination of people to be talking about this scene. Woo, aero buddies! Woohoo! Yes, not getting the romantic subplots in Keeper of the Lost Cities since 2000, whenever this came out. <laughs> I mean, okay, in terms of the narrative and the characters, I think that the reason Sophie is so upset by this is that she wants to be with Fitz, and Fitz is very set on the match. You know, Fitz is very prestigious, very, like, you know, well-known and stuff, and so he's expected to follow the match and follow tradition, and Sophie thinks that if she can't be matchable, then she and him, he and she, then he and she can never be together. But yeah, I mean, it's, on the one hand, it's like, in the grand scheme of everything you're facing, come on. But on the other hand, it's like, no, that's a real problem, and, and I feel that. I feel for her. Especially with, like, how the unmatchable thing, like, does kind of screw her and Fitz's relationship in Legacy later on. Like, how it was something real that she could be worried about, and how it, it like, made them even stop being friends for a while. Like, well, a while as in a couple chapters, but... And it's such a big thing in the Elven world. The whole match is, like, with Dex and stuff, the whole match system, and Brant and Jolie, it determines your social standing and, like, how everyone treats you. So it's not to be taken lightly. Yeah, it actually kind of had me wondering if, like, Orly and Kenrick weren't on each other's match lists, and that's why they didn't step down and get married like that's one of my theories the other one is that orally is arrow ace because i because i love projecting onto her i love both of those yeah no that's awesome honestly i love um arrow ace sophie oh yes i i like the idea that all her crushes are just 
squishes and she doesn't know what love is. Just like with like how everyone's like, oh, Sophie, you're so oblivious, but like I am so romantically oblivious that like before I really got into fandom, I didn't ship anything unless it was canon because clearly if it was canon, it just would, if it was not canon, it just wouldn't work out. And I did not see I did not see how people could ship so, so Keith when Sophie was canon that should, and that should like be the one. Like I like I have no sense for romance at all. So I think that Sophie is aromantic or at least aerospec yeah i okay i feel that so much i have i have never been able to like fully get into any ships that aren't canon because it's like but but it's not what you know like like it's not there it doesn't register unless it's explicit Yes, like, I think basically any character in the series that has not shown signs as a crush as Aeroes because I'm starved for rap over here. So, so far, so so far, I think that's Orly, Elwyn, Wiley, and maybe Bronte. Like, I also, I have a bunch of queer keeper velocities headcanons, but those are my main ones. For Aeroes Elwyn, he literally chills alone and has a bunch of he like, like he like he lives alone he has a lot of friends he clearly likes being with people but not in a romantic way this is a really good point hold on elwin huh yeah he has the vibes yeah and like with how orly looked through all five of her match lists and then decided to not get with and decided to be a counselor and not date anyone that also has serious arrow vibes i love that i love that so much <laughs> These kids, these kids need to figure out what they're doing. And on that note, do you have any last remarks? We kind of skipped over, like, the entire battle scene, but I don't like talking about fight scenes, so that was cool. Yeah, it was, I mean, I I personally like fight scenes because I'm a big, like, sci-fi fantasy person. I think this one, the main thing was, like, that the Never Seen and the Black Swan were working together against a common enemy. I thought that was cool, but... Yeah, it, w- it was normal. AU, where, where instead of fighting each other, they realize that they both hate the elven world and team up to take that down instead. Because, like, they have, like, the exact same goals, the exact same motives. They're just, like, doing it in very different ways, one with lots of arson and the other with a little arson. You can find us at KeeperCast on Tumblr and the KeeperCast on Instagram, and you can find me at Aelin-Ashriver-Galathinius on Tumblr. Um, you can find me at the Dark Chocolate Lord on archive of our own. Please, please, please read my fanfic and leave comments. If you do, I will sell my soul for you. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week.